Our spoken meditation that you heard again was Wendell Berry's poem, A Speech to the Garden Club of America. Again, the author's name is Wendell Berry, and his poem, Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front, served as our Easter reading um, here at UUCF this year. Barry's the author of more than 50 books of poetry, fiction, and essays, and for more than 40 years, he has lived and farmed with his wife, Tanya Barry, in Kentucky. Barry is a well-known environmental activist, and he'll be present to participate this summer at the annual Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, which this year will be in Louisville, Kentucky. Barry will be joining thousands of Unitarian Universalists from around the continent, including some members of this congregation and myself, on Thursday, June 20th, at a public witness event calling for greater environmental justice in this country. In particular, the goal will be to raise awareness about the danger and impact of practices like mountaintop removal mining and fracking. The UUA website description of this event says, in order to change how we get our energy, we must first use the energy within us to make a change and to call for change. And I chose Barry's poem to read on this Earth Day or this Earth Day Sunday because he helps name the tension that many of us wrestle with as we seek a better, more sustainable way of being on this one planet regarding humanity's use of our planet's limited resources. As an accomplished environmental author and activist and speaker, Barry's an understandable choice to speak in an auspicious place like the Garden Club of America, which is a historic leader in the fields of horticulture, conservation, and civic improvement. But the same life's work that makes Barry eminently qualified to be paid to fly around the country promoting environmental justice also makes him acutely aware that the jet-set lifestyle undercuts the very work of ecological sustainability that he's trying to promote. Presumably responding to the accolades of whomever introduced him before he was to deliver a speech to the Garden Club of America, Barry begins... Thank you. I'm glad to know we're friends, of course. There are so many outcomes that are worse. But I must add that I'm sorry for getting here. I'm sorry for getting here by a sustained explosion through the air, burning the world to rise much higher than we should go. We speak of it as fuel while we burn it in our fit of temporary progress, digging up an antique, dark, held luster to corrupt the present light with smokes and smudges and poison. Burning the world to live in it is wrong. To add some data to Barry's prophetic musings, a single return flight, not a round-trip flight, but a single return flight between New York and London produces 1.2 tons of greenhouse gases per passenger. The equivalent of a year's allowable emissions if, we, if emissions were rationed fairly among the 7 billion people of this planet. To explore this point further, I want to quote one particularly perplexing line from the Barry poem that we read on Easter. In that poem, Barry wrote, Praise ignorance. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Now, that can be a hard line for Unitarian Universalists to hear. 
We typically decry ignorance as the source of many of the world's ills. And indeed, many times we are right to challenge the uninformed, including times we ourselves lack critical information. But I think Barry means in that line, for, and for that line, to be controversial and to give us pause. My reading is that he's calling for humans to be more humble. Not just to assume that more human involvement in any situation and in any area is necessarily better. I think it's also a line born from the frustration of repeatedly witnessing the devastation that humans have wrought in so many corners of our planet. I invite you to wrestle with the complex truth embedded in that line. Praise ignorance. For what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. As one recent example of human-caused ecological destruction, I wonder how many of you have seen pictures from the oil spill last week by Exxon in Arkansas, kind of running through suburbia. So some of you have seen it. It's actually not surprising that all of you haven't seen it, because I think it's an interesting example of selective coverage by the media, the fact that you haven't seen and how the area kind of got cordoned off quickly, I mean, what we choose to cover. But the pictures, you can Google it, and I'll, I'll link to some pictures, but the pictures have really been heartbreaking and disturbing as thousands of barrels of heavy Canadian crude led to evacuations in Arkansas of 22 homes. The oil was just flowing through the suburban neighborhood. And I can't help having flashbacks to the significantly worse 2010 Deepwater Horizon BP oil spill, which of course was many magnitudes worse. But for me, this recent spill is just one more reason to stop the, the proposed Keystone XL pipeline, which would run from Alberta, Canada, through the U.S. to refineries in the Gulf of Mexico. The pipeline is an opportunity for the U.S. to show global leadership, to make a sacrifice towards slowing global climate change. As commentators have noted, of course saying no to the pipeline won't stop Canada from developing the tar sands, but it will force the construction of new pipelines through Canada itself. And that will require Canadians, if we do our part, that will then put the buck back on Canada and Canadians to do their part in playing a larger role in deciding whether a massive expansion of tar sands development is prudent. But the latest I've heard from President Obama is that he doesn't think that blocking the pipeline with its promises of jobs and lower fuel costs is politically viable with our country's depressed economy, although it's highly debatable how many jobs would even come from the pipeline or how much the lower, whether any lower fuel costs would actually result because of our global, it's not just about one part, our fuel economy is deeply interdependent in the world. And given the political cowardice and dysfunction demonstrated this past week in the Senate's failure to pass even the most modest and widely supported of measures to prevent gun violence, even in the wake of shootings at Newtown Elementary and the more than 3,500 deaths in the U.S. from gun violence just since Newtown, I can understand President Obama's reluctance and reticence to take action on the even more politically controversial pipeline. At the same time, it was only three months ago that President Obama spoke these words in his second inaugural address. We the people still believe that our obligations as Americans are not just to ourselves, but to all posterity. We will respond to the threat of climate change knowing that the failure to do so would betray our children and future generations. 
Some may still deny the overwhelming judgment of science, but none can avoid the devastating impact of raging fires and crippling droughts and more powerful storms. The path toward sustainable energy sources will be long and sometimes difficult, but America cannot resist this transition. We must lead it. We cannot cede to other nations the technology that will power new jobs and new industries. We must claim its promise. That's how we will maintain our economic vitality and our national treasure, our forests and our waterways, our croplands and our snow-capped peaks. That's how we will preserve the planet. Those are nice words. And I just don't understand why so many elected officials, even the ones like President Obama, who presumably will never again need to run for re-election, lack the courage of their convictions. What happened to change we can believe in? In 1936, Winston Churchill said the following about the events that would eventually culminate in World War II. The era of procrastination of half-measures, of soothing and baffling expedients, of delays, is coming to its close. In its place, we are entering a period of consequences. Al Gore quoted those fateful words from Churchill in his 2006 book, An Inconvenient Truth. And we find ourselves now, seven years later, in the year 2013, and far too many of our fellow citizens and elected leaders continue to bury their heads in the sand. But Churchill and Gore are right that we can, we can procrastinate and we can prevaricate. But climate change is already here and we are in a period of consequences. For this reason, activist Bill McKibben titled his 2011 book, Earth, E-R-A-E-A-A-R-T-H, to signal that even if we started to make massive global changes today, Irrevocable changes have already been made to our planet. We can now choose to slow the changes or to exacerbate them further. So on this week when we just don't need any more bad news, let's be honest, we've had enough. How can we best honor and celebrate Earth Day, or should we say E-A-A-R-T-H Day, because our Earth has been so changed? Well, Wendell Berry's poem offers these words. Let us enlighten our earthly burdens by going back to school, and by going back to school this time in gardens that burn no hotter than the summer's day, unlike that streaming blast of jet fuel through the air. By birth and growth and ripeness and death and decay, by goods that bind us to all living things, the garden delves no deeper than its roots and lifts no higher than its leaves and fruits, as it was naturally intended to do. Instead of traveling too far, too fast, and too much, which I've done plenty of myself, Barry invites us to root, invest, and grow locally in the soil of the place in which we find ourselves. And one of the ways we're doing that here at UUCF is through our commitment to being what the Unitarian Universalist Association calls a certified green sanctuary, We earned this accreditation back in 2011 thanks to the dedicated work of members of this congregation. And our Green Sanctuary designation means that we're committed to at least 12 projects annually, many of which are ongoing from year to year that we just have to keep up, that help us take concrete steps as individuals and as a congregation towards sustainability and responsible stewardship of our immediate environment. 
And these 12 areas are spread across four areas. Worship, religious education, environmental justice, and sustainable living. And our commitment here today at this annual Earth Day-themed service is one of those 12 commitments that we'll look at this at least once annually in a full service to remind us of our commitments. And I hope that many of you will be able to stay after the service for our luncheon, which benefits the CLC, which is a, one of America's greenest classrooms, as well as for the 30 to 45-minute conversation that will follow that around 12.45 or 1 on climate change and green sanctuary. For now, it's significant to note that the UUA's Green Sanctuary Program was originally known as the Seventh Principle Project in, reverence, in reference to the Seventh Principle of Unitarian Universalism. It's on the back of your order of service, which is respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we're all a part. And interdependence recognizes the decisions we make about the environment, from the fuel efficiency levels of the cars we buy, to the regulation of mountaintop removal and fracking, to whether or not we permit the building of the Keystone XL pipeline. Those decisions not only affect us, but the rest of the humans and the animals and plants on this one planet. And likewise, the rise of industrialization in countries like India and China and the concurrent rise of carbon emissions from these nations, that affects us here in the U.S. And what we model for them affects our moral voice and whether we have any moral authority in speaking to them. As Dr. King said, we live together in a great world house. And because we can never again live apart, we must learn to live with each other. We must learn to live together or we will perish together as fools. Now, earlier I quoted from the UUA's website about the environmental justice public witness event this summer in which Wendell Berry will participate. And again, the description of this event says that in order to change how we get our energy, we must first use the energy within us to make a change for ourselves and our immediate environment. And part of that necessary change is becoming increasingly aware of the interdependent web of all existence, of which we are all a part. And from Boston to West Texas, we've been reminded this past week of just how vulnerable and precious our lives are. We can't always control what happens around us, but we can learn to have more control over our response to people and events. And one way to do that is to remind ourselves that we are more than isolated individuals bumping into each other. We are part of the interdependent web of all existence. And to experiment with the truth of that reality this morning, I'd like to invite us to increase our awareness of that interdependent web and to practice touching it and what it feels like to become more aware of that web that connects us. Specifically on this Earth Day Sunday, I would like to invite us to experiment with a practice called earth breathing, which I first learned from the Tibetan Buddhist teacher, Dr. Reginald Ray. Reggie earned a PhD from the University of Chicago back in 1973 and is in the lineage of Chogun Trumpa Rinpoche. He's been studying and teaching at the intersection of Tibetan Buddhism and Western culture for more than four decades. And the goal of this earth-breathing practice is to help us become more aware both of our own bodies as well as the interdependent connection between our bodies and this one planet on which we live. Reggie teaches that the more embodied we are, the more aware of our bodies that we are, and the more aware we are of our connectedness to all things, the greater will be our sense of wholeness, of wellness, and of openness. 
To the extent you're comfortable doing so, I invite you to assume a seated meditation posture, which generally means putting both feet flat on the floor and sitting up straight with your shoulders down, relaxed but alert. Rest your hands comfortably on your thighs, and if you're comfortable doing so, I invite you to close your eyes. Bring your chin in slightly and let your tongue relax in your mouth or touch the upper palate lightly. And take a deep breath in through your nose and out. Continue to allow your breath to slow and deepen. Notice also how your chair is supporting you and grounding you. If you feel any tightness in your interior core, your stomach, your abdominal muscles, allow those to relax. Allow yourself to be aware of the fullness of this present moment and of your embodied nature. In some Buddhist teachings, the earth represents peace and equanimity. Equanimity is an aspect of enlightenment and refers to mental calmness, composure, evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Perhaps you've experienced the earth as a Buddha of equanimity, when if walking in nature you have found yourself becoming more grounded, poised, and serene. The goal of earth breathing is to bring conscious intention to what you may have experienced already unintentionally through simply spending time in nature. We're going to seek to bring the grounded energy of earth into your body. So with your eyes closed, relaxed, but alert, I invite you to put your attention a foot or two underneath you. Visualize that your intention is down in the earth in the foundation of this building. Continue to breathe normally and keep your attention below us in the earth. And on the in-breath, bring the energy of the earth up into your body. Some of you may understand this practice more metaphorically. Others of you may experience it as quite literal. Both ways are fine. Keeping your attention below you in the earth, feel the massiveness of the earth beneath you. Breathe in that vastness. Breathe it up into your heart, up until your whole torso. Feel the peace of the earth and breathe in that peace, letting it permeate your body. In a few moments, there'll be about a minute of silence, after which I will ring the bell. During the silence on each in-breath, extend your attention another foot deeper in the earth. And as you do so, notice your awareness of what earth energy feels like.